0: Pixelsift is proudly supported by the Murdoch University School of Arts, and if you're looking for a creative degree, they might be able to help you out. If you're keen to learn more, have a look at murdoch.edu.au forward slash arts to find out what they've got an offer. That's murdoch.edu.au forward slash arts, or you can search Murdoch University for more information. Murdoch University School of Arts, proudly supporting Pixelsift. Sift. Pixel Sift. And welcome to episode 159 of Pixel Sift, the show dedicated to indie games from around Australia and the world. My name is Daniel Lang and joining me tonight is my co-host Mitch. Thanks so much for joining me, Mitch. Hey, it's good to be here. Thank you very much for having me. How are you feeling post-Perth Games Festival? I'm pretty tired, but still, it was good. And the show must go on. Our guest tonight is Josh Bush, who you may know online as Cheesiness, the developer of Hive Time. Thanks so much for joining us tonight, Josh. Yeah,
1: thanks for having me
0: and uh yeah so we'll be talking to josh about his new game
2: hive time which is the base building and resource management sim game
0: featuring bees bees let's get into it australia's best video game podcast subscribe to pixel sift on apple podcasts spotify and wherever podcasts are found Our guest this evening is Josh Bush, who is the lead developer of Hive Time, and he is here to talk about the game development process. So, Josh, my first question for you is: Why bees?
1: Why bees? Um, yes, a couple of reasons. Uh, one is that bees are really nice, and uh, they're important uh, pollinators. They they play a, a critical role in in uh, a lot of um, agriculture. Um, and uh, they, they have kind of a, a bit of a bad rap <laughs> in in popular media, so it's nice to have some positive representations of them. Um, the other reason is that uh, my my partner at the time uh, and I uh, had a, a little sort of art blog craft stall thing that we did called uh, two loft bees. And um, so, so bees are just like this recurring thing for us um but yeah so so we we kind of we kind of went with with that i think originally the jam that we started hive time for we were going to make a game that was going to be sort of flappy bird esque but you play as a bat egg uh which is an egg with bat wings and um, we, we, we went for a walk um, and she said, oh, you know, I'm not, I'm not really feeling the bad egg thing. Um, and halfway through the walk, we were like, okay, what if we just build a beehive? And uh, and then we started talking about um, the idea of managing the diversity of the populations, um, of of the, the sort of generational population that you have within your beehive. And, and from there, uh, the concept kind of solidified. And by the time we got back from our walk, we were ready to start... And uh, yeah, it, it all came together. Like the concept uh, didn't really shift or evolve much from that point. Mm. And for those who don't know, what exactly is Hive Time? So it's a it's a management sim where you your primary goal is to create a sustainable beehive, um, and you. Do that by constructing cells for your bees to live in, and managing the the, the diversity of the population. So it's there's, there's broken down into four or five different roles. Um, there's you sort of generalist workers who can go out and forage for resources, but they can also help construction and they can also man production facilities. But then you have builders who specialise in construction. Um, and research. Uh, You have bee sitters who contribute to the spawn rate of the the population in your hive. There are foragers who are able to retrieve more when they go out to to fetch for resources. Um, And, uh, yeah, we we felt like the idea of of managing diversity and trying to mechanically expose some of the dynamic nature of diversity and representation... um, in the game was, was kind of fun and interesting.
2: How long has the game been in development for?
1: We started the, the jam in, um, I think it was at the very end of April last year. Uh, the jam went for 10 days and we had a little prototype, which, uh, which I've got up on each as well. If, you, if anybody's keen to see the game's origin, you can, you can uh, check that out. But uh, from, from the end of the jam to the game's release, uh, I worked on it full time for about seven months.
0: One thing that I like is that you have all these different uh, development blogs online and you're quite transparent with the process itself. And one of them has a big list of different inspirations um, from the original yeah. SimCity to Dune, Space Base, and that sort of thing. And could you break down some of the elements from those games that inspired you as you made Hive Time?
1: Yeah, so when when we, were, you know, I mentioned that we went out for this walk and that's where we kind of solidified the concept concept. When we were talking about it, um, I really liked this idea of having a, a two-step construction mechanism. So, you, I, rem- I remember something I really liked about Dune 2, uh, which is like a really early Westwood RTS, was that you had to put down these concrete slabs and then you build your buildings on top of those. Um, but often you would find that you would build your concrete slabs, you plan everything out, and then something unexpected would happen and you would have to repurpose that, that empty space that you'd done. Uh, and so that, that two-step process gave you the ability or, or a little window where where some of your plans could shift and change and that's that's something that i wanted to try and bring to bear uh in the way that hive times construction mechanisms work so you build an empty cell first and then you can build a, a cell in that uh, and generally uh any any particular type every type of cell except the exit at the moment um can be upgraded by clustering it together with another group of the same type of cells and then and then upgrading them all together. Um, so there's sort of like two windows uh, during which your uh, your plans can sort of get uh, interrupted or waylaid. I really liked um, the original SimCity. I spent a lot of time playing that. Uh, I like the aspect of, of having a, a relatively simple set of systems and once you understand them, the game itself is pretty trivial um, and the fun comes from exploring the boundaries of what that uh, simulation can handle Um, which uh, is is kind of what I wanted to do with Hive Time I wanted to have these sort of fairly simple uh, mechanics driving the or fairly simple systems driving the sim in the background Uh, and then once you understand how that works once you know how to get the 600 jelly you need in order to create a new queen, then you're free to build the biggest hive or build the smallest hive or see if you can build a hive that can get enough jelly without ever researching jelly production, uh, which is possible. Um, you know, and, and these kinds of things were, were a lot of fun. Um, uh, Flotilla was was another bit of an inspiration. I'd started playing that uh, recent, like just before we started doing the jam and I was really taken with the way that that game is. Um, really, it's a short story generator with some real-time space combat thrown in. <laughs> but the, the idea is you, you visit these places and there's this, it exposes this very weird and zany and unexpected universe where there are like pirate pigs and... Uh, Flamingos, who um, are, are like kind of this these underworld traders of elite technology and stuff, and and uh, lots of, of like just really weird and unexpected stuff. And I like the way that it implied this much larger and 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 fascinating world. Um, the idea with Flotilla is that you are soon to you, you're short lived. You've got some kind of terminal disease, and you're going out to have like one. Uh, massive uh, adventure uh, with the time that you have left. And so you can only make several jumps before before it's game over. But when you die, it shows you a list of all the things that you did, which is kind of a chronology of that adventure, um, and uh, gives you a chance to reflect on that sort of short story that you've created. Uh, originally, Hive Time was going to have a similar thing where you could, could scroll back through the events and, um, and see those happen. But uh, we eventually moved away from that. Um, another inspiration was, was Space Base DF9, which is a, a game that I like uh, and loved a lot. Um, if you've played it, you possibly have seen a cheeseness wandering around your uh, uh, station's corridors. <laughs> I, I was one of the uh, earliest names to be added to the name pool, so most people have seen... I, at one point, I got everyone to send me photos of their, their dead cheesenesses, and I was going to do like a big, giant photo mosaic of, of just dead cheesenesses everywhere. <laughs> um but uh, yeah, that, that uh, community turned a little bit sour when that game got released. But I, I liked this idea of you don't you don't control these people directly; they do weird things and and unexpected stuff, and you're like, "Why are you doing push-ups in a room that's venting, dude? What are you doing?" Um, there's always this kind of fun anecdotal uh, things that the that the characters are doing, and I I want to try and express some of that um, with, with Hive Time's vignettes uh, and also with the the way that you don't control bees directly, but you can watch them and, and wonder about what they're up to. Um, and then the sort of last primary inspiration was, was probably Massive Chalice. Uh, I really liked the, the writing uh, and the tone of the writing in that game. Um, the uh, Oh my goodness. I, I've forgotten their first names. Uh, I think it's Max and Nick Falkman oh, I feel real bad because I love those guys, and if I've forgotten one of their names that's that's an awful betrayal <laughs> but they have they have a great sense of humor and um the the writing they did on that was great, but I also love the way that the events were all about shaking up your plans and giving you unexpected things that you needed to respond to that um that you know would not necessarily allow you know you you, you never get to to make plans that will, will survive contact re- with reality. There's always some, some unexpected thing that happens. So I really wanted Hive Time's events to play a similar kind of role. You know, the, the simulation's simple and you can kind of grok what's going on without a lot of hassle, um, but, uh, but the events are, are sort of aimed at throwing a curveball and uh, rocking the boat a little bit so that you've got something to respond to while you're playing. Hmm.
2: Um, one, of, one of the most memorable parts of Hive Time is the soundtrack. And um, yeah. what was it about Peter Silk's work that you thought that you want, really wanted to work with him?
1: So I'd, I'd known Peter for a few years. Um, he uh, he was one of our uh, volunteer uh, community moderators on the on the Double Fine forums when I was coordinating that, um, and uh, he'd watched the progress stuff that I'd tweeted and and shared while we were working on the jam. Uh, and he he sort of said to me, "Hey, look, I'd really like to compose for this." And initially, I was planning to do the music myself. Um, the the prototype that we've got up there has has like one music track. Obviously, it was going to be more, but that kind of gives an idea of the space that that I was going to be uh, to be planning to put it in. Um, but I had a chat with Peter, and he seemed to get the concept, and he was interested and engaged. Um, so I was you know happy to to handball that along and have a little bit less work to do myself. And he just really knocked it out of the park. It's amazing. Um, that soundtrack deserves to win many, many, many awards than it has.
2: Is it a more of a collaborative effort between you and and Peter? Or is, do you, does he, you kind of just let him go go for it?
1: Um, so I I feel like, from my perspective, I'm like, if I'm giving you this work, if I'm inviting you to be a collaborator, it's important to me that you have the ability to creatively uh, express yourself. If I'm telling you what to do, then I may as well do it myself. Um, So I gave him as much freedom as he wanted, um, but I also gave him as much feedback as he wanted. Um, And from my perspective, I don't feel like I did much, but uh, the way he tells it is that uh, I gave uh, worthwhile and insightful feedback that helped him um, navigate and, and move towards uh, what the eventual thing was, um, so yeah, I, I, you know, you don't, you don't always get to see your own performance uh, or your own influence, but, uh, but yeah, Peter did amazing work. I think that's part of the, I guess the one of the
0: interesting facets of game development, too, the collaborative effort and everyone bringing a creativity mm. to the project that you maybe didn't expect beforehand because um the soundtrack itself is very it's it's really fitting to the game and it has a lot of like xylophones and it's kind of quirky and zany and and fits in nicely uh thematically i think and yeah why was that an important i guess uh design decision to have it be sort of light-hearted and uh and and zany
1: yeah so I I mean again I, I gave Peter a lot of discretion here and he he made the final call on on arrangement uh and instrumentation um the the very first ideas that we talked about had had featured a, a xylophone fairly prominently and a marimba as well um and we both sort of agreed that that felt like a, a really good fit uh early on I said like you know whatever you want to do is fine let's you know whatever the, the game is evoking in you, I want to hear. Um, so go nuts uh, and follow follow your heart. <laughs> um, but uh, I said to him that, you know, the, the game itself is silly and, and zany, but it's okay if the music is straight. Um, if the music is, because like the idea is that the world is, weird and crazy but it probably has its own rules that it adheres to and if the music is a part of that world then it can be straight within those bounds um but if he i said also said to him if you want to if you want to sort of ham it up and make it as silly as possible then go nuts and i think we kind of found something in between uh it it feels cute and it feels um uh Approachable, like really approachable, I think, um but I don't think that it's overtly silly um, some of the some of the event tracks are a little bit thematically tied to what's going on, so when you're dealing with the the slug mobsters, you'll get this kind of uh, very uh noirish but also with with bongos and and stuff. <laughs> uh, track. I, I love that that piece. It's I think it's called Wasps or Cops, um, and it's uh, it's pretty good. Um, but yeah. So so Peter sort of uh, initially my my thought was we'll have some very short stings to go with the events, and they'll be like a positive sting, a negative sting, a really bad sting, really good sting, something neutral, uh, and then all of the the musical presence will be in the background music that just kind of kicks off while you play mm-hmm. um, uh, but he felt more excited or, or he felt felt that there was more value in um, uh, doing event specific stuff um, and I think I think that really gives the events a lot more character than than they'd otherwise have so so most of the events have a, a sort of either unique or set piece uh, track that they're they're using
0: and before we went live, uh, Josh. We were kind of speaking about you never actually made a management building game beforehand. Um, no, no. Is, is that uh, what was that like jumping into it? And is that why you started the <laughs> development logs to kind of keep track of, of your progress?
1: Um, I think I think I did the development logs because as we were, we were sort of just sharing progress during the jam, people responded to that. Um, and, and I wanted to sort of keep a bit of that momentum up, but also I wanted to make sure that, um, for the people who were playing before release, uh, you know, my, my Patreon supporters and, um, testing community and, and other people who were were interested, I wanted to make sure that they had reasonable change logs that they could look at to, to see what was different about Excuse me. <laughs> so they could see what was different about the uh, the new builds that they were playing, and then uh, you know, any time that I see a text box, I will drop some thoughts in there and um, and waffle on. Um, so yeah, the, it was it was a, a combination of just wanting to make sure that I was keeping everybody up to date on what was going on, um, partly also to create some extra content for my Patreon supporters to to have access to and be interested in checking out, um, and also just to sort of uh, uh, narcissistically waffle on about whatever it was I was interested in at the time, regardless of whether anybody wanted to read or not.
2: Um, one of your devlogs, you spoke specifically about the financials while making the game mm. and, and, and and really a, a lot about money, which is, which is something that people aren't usually willing to talk about. You know, can, can you tell me why that was important to you to get that out there?
1: So I have this, I have this feeling that um, if you do something... That it's it's important to learn from from your experiences, right? Like, uh, otherwise, you don't have an opportunity to grow. You don't have an opportunity to improve. Um, but I think that works on on a cultural scale as well. Um, if I do stuff and I don't talk about what my experiences are and don't give anybody else the chance to learn from my experiences, then everybody else will have to go through and make the same mistakes. Uh, and that's the opposite of cultural growth. Um, if I open doors behind me and lower ladders behind me to make it easier for other people to learn from what I've done or navigate the spaces that I've navigated, then that feels uh, like it's being – it to, to not do that sort of feels culturally irresponsible to me. And –
0: just uh, jumping off of that, with Patreon, uh, what made you decide to go on Patreon as a platform to, uh, for Hive, Hive Time?
1: Um, I'd, I'd started my Patreon thing back in 2015, I think. Um, and primarily it was focused on enabling me to uh, continue making games. Um, I had I'd moved away from uh, a focus on day jobs and had transition towards uh doing game stuff full time uh at the at the time and and currently still (laughs) my main major project uh is a uh first person text adventure hybrid thing that is impossible to describe called in the snowy winter's wake um and i wanted to give people the opportunity to support me and uh be along for the ride as i made that um and along the way, I, you know, lots of, of other work, <laughs> uh, whether it be smaller projects or contract work or or other things, um, um, and and that was also to to support some of my writing as well. Um, you know, other other projects that come up along the way. Uh, I got to to work on Day of the Tentacle remastered, which added a year. To, to Winter's Wake's production schedule and I worked on Full Throttle, which also added a year to, to Winter's Wake's production schedule. Uh, I helped out with with Hand of Fate 2, which added another year. And so uh, when when we were working on Hive Time and we made the decision to turn that into a full game, uh, one of the, the key factors there was um, me looking at uh, you know which of the two projects, Winter's Wake and Hive Time, is easier to uh a get to completion and b to to market in a way that will attract some some revenue to help continue supporting me to make games uh and Hive time seemed like the easiest thing I, I mentioned that windows wake is is difficult to describe um i can show someone a screenshot i can talk about it for an hour and then people will still ask stuff like where's the text parser um but if you sit down and play it for 30 seconds that's enough for it to click and you know exactly what it is. Whereas by comparison Hive Time I can show you a screenshot and it is what it looks like and it's very easy to talk about. Um, so that felt like the... Uh, I also felt like I could finish it a lot faster so yeah that's that's what led to me um, kicking that off. I hope that the people waiting for Winter's Wake uh, aren't too disappointed in Hive Time but uh, you know, obviously, they're very, very different games. But, um, but yeah, both have been very rewarding to work on. You
2: sound like someone that's moved between solo development and developing in teams with other people. Um, how, what's it like moving between them so frequently?
1: Um, you know, it's, it's often a breath of fresh air. Um, I like working with other people. I like working in teams. But then after a while, contract's done, and I'm very happy to be working on my own again, you know? Um, yeah, it's there. There is often, you know, I have have a lot of concurrent projects going on at once, and, and often there's a lot of context switches, um, and and that's that's a mixed bag. Sometimes it's fine. Other times, uh, other times I just let one thing or another slide so that I can give something else the focus that it needs. And you know, triaging how you use your time is just a, a part of of development on. on the micro as well as the macro scale, I think. You know, when you particularly as a solo developer, you know, you've got one item on your to-do list, which is everything. Um <laughs> and uh <laughs> you know it's up to you to to work out what's highest priority, what's going to enable other and again if you're working in a team, it's exactly the same things. What's going to enable the rest of the project to move forward uh with the fewest bottlenecks and the fewest hurdles. Um so uh so yeah doing doing that both Uh, within a project, but also for multiple projects, is is sort of the same thing, just at a different scale, I think.
2: I've got a question here from uh, Yellow Materia. Um, uh, They Mm. said, how long does a game take to play? And I think they're talking about Hive Time.
1: Let's hope they're talking about Hive Time. (laughs) 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 Um, So your your Queen and, and... We'll come back to this in a second, but Hive Time has a lot of options where you can customize the gameplay and change your experience. And when I say that queen lifespan is two hours, it's two hours by default. You can change that. Um, your your queen will every queen will die after uh, after two hours. Um, but if you spawn another queen, um, it's more of a sort of continue playing goal rather than any kind of end game or or anything it's it's basically me as a designer saying do you understand the mechanics well enough to continue playing and and have fun um so yeah for for some people it's the game ends at two hours for some people the game ends when they make their first queen for some people the game ends when they're 25 generations down the track and they've seen every dead queen portrait on the back of their throne room so it doesn't really have an end and i think that's probably one of the interesting
0: things too because um you mentioned sim city earlier and the aspect Mm. of kind of this improvisational reacting to the simulation as it reacts to you sort of thing right um for example famously in sim city there are like the giant lizard attacks and tornadoes and all sorts yeah. of things that can come by and, and just wreck shop. And in Hive Time, it's similar where, for example, we're watching uh, one of the update trailers with a giant bear claw coming in <laughs> and, and sort of swiping uh, at a whole bunch of different cells. And how do you what sort of uh, expectations do you have for players to experience the game uh, within that realm? Like, How do you hope p- uh, players go through it?
1: Um. My my hope is that the first time you experience these things, they're a surprise. The first time you come across old Bidey, he's uh he's a big challenge. And you go, <laughs> Whoa, what the hell is this? Um and uh but my hope is that after the first or second encounter you go, Ah, there's something that I can do to influence how this uh you know, how this what, what kind of outcomes I have from this event, uh or or any of the other events really. Um and so that's, that's more of that same thing of learning to understand the simulation and learning to navigate the simulation. You're also learning the disasters or pitfalls or negative events or even positive events. Uh, and once you get familiar with them, then you can, can continue to sort of work along with them as well. And did that kind of lead into you um, deciding to add a
0: for-your-own-fun option for players to really go in and customise the experience that they want to get out of the game?
1: Um. I don't know whether that well it's it's funny uh we think about old Body as is sort of the the pinnacle example because it's probably the one that people who aren't necessarily a good fit for what hive time is trying to do in that regard um you know I there there are some players not not very many uh thankfully <laughs> but some who are pretty sad about having part of their hive smashed by a bear after they invested a lot of time in um, in in doing it, in my mind, learning to recover from that is an important skill that's valuable to the uh, to the play experience. Uh, and then also learning how to avoid the uh, the negative outcomes of that event is part of the game as well. Um, but you know, for anybody who wants to turn that off, the ability isn't there just yet. But this morning, I added an option um, that'll be in the next patch <laughs> that lets you do that. Um, but I think back to I used to play a lot of StarCraft. M- maybe not a lot, but I used to play a reasonable amount of StarCraft, a healthy amount. Yeah, you know, I, I slept. Um, <laughs> I was just gonna. T- uh, t-
2: I, I did say to Daniel, I was like, "This game really reminds me of StarCraft, except I don't have to confront anybody in in this game, <laughs> which is like so great."
1: <laughs> right, right. I I really wanted to avoid having. Overt conflict for you to deal with the disasters that happen, kind of happen, and you don't you don't really need to manage any any conflict aside from, or or at least the conflicts that you do manage. Typically, it's it's diplomatic. Uh, your your interactions are diplomatic rather than, um, um, you know, warlike. <laughs> but I think back to StarCraft, and my my stepbrother and I used to play. Multiplayer games, and we would use cheats to give ourselves infinite resources, and we would just build the biggest tithes that we could. Um, completely ignoring the game rules, the most fun experience was just making whatever we wanted to make. Um, and that, that taught me really early on um, that, uh, that if you're having fun, if you find something fun in a game regardless of whether or not it aligns with the developer's intentions, regardless of whether it aligns with the established rules, that's still valid. Um, And who the hell am I to tell people that they can't do whatever they want to do? If I, you know, if it doesn't cost me anything, then why not? Um, And for the same reason, if you don't make that sustainability uh, goal of, of 600 Jelly before your old queen dies... Um, providing you haven't ticked the unforgiving game over option the game has like it shows the game over screen but it has a i'm still having fun button that you can press and you can keep mm. playing because who the hell am i to take your uh your experience away from you
0: yeah i that i really like that actually that it's um really depending on the player to set kind of their own objectives really going for like you mentioned mm. earlier having the biggest hive or the smallest hive and having those almost self-imposed challenges that a lot of people like to do, especially people that are streaming on YouTube, for example. Um, yeah. But I, I want to talk li- a little bit about you, Josh, and how you got your start into game development. Um, what
1: made you want to go into it in the first place? Well, um, you know, do, do we do like the weebly bit where, where everything sort of fades into a memory? Um, <laughs> we, we absolutely <laughs> can add in a sound effect later on. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, so my my family, we we got our first computer in 1988. Uh, I think, pretty sure it was 1998. At uh, 1988, and uh, my dad and I learned to program together by copying stuff out of the back of magazines. And from that time onwards, I've always been making games in some form. And at first, it was just stuff for me, stuff for my family, stuff for my friends. Um, in the same way that. You know, um photography these days is something that everybody does, and they do it to express their life and express their thoughts and just share things with people they know. Um, that was that was how I treated game development. Um, it wasn't until I was in college um, and had assembled a, a team of people to work on uh, a pair of half-life mods that I felt like I wanted to make games that other people. Like people I didn't know, games that would be played by audiences of of people outside of that personal sphere. Um and, and from that point forward I think I was was kinda um yeah, always always looking toward making games full time. I, I the plan at the time was was I'll 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 get another career and I'll become financially sustainable and I'll make games in my spare time. But that's not how it works. When you don't have a lot of spare time, you don't spend it working um or if you do uh it's it's probably not healthy and it's going to come back and bite you. Uh which it did for me uh when I lost the use of my arms and hands for about 3 to 6 months uh due to a repetitive strain injury. <laughs> mm-hmm. So uh listen to your body kids. Um but uh but yeah that that point uh I think it was 1998 1999 um I was working on a, a thief inspired half-life mod which was going to be um sort of uh counter strike round structure where you have two opposing teams and one team was guards and one team was thieves thieves have like an infiltration objective the guards have to actually spot them doing something uh, in order to raise the alarm and, and I hear that Trouble in Terrorist uh, Trouble in Terrorist Town is kind of similar to the the sort of mechanics that we had in mind for that um but uh but yeah, that that was a whole bunch of fun. We never released it. <laughs> um but we made a second mod out of uh all of the dumb stuff that we made that was not suitable for our, our more serious game. Uh and it was called Grenades, Snarks and Teleporters, and it had um it had like the finger of pain that did one damage but knocked people flying for like fifty meters. Uh, we had, like, fuzzy pink um, antlers that you wore on your head and you could ram people with to paralyze them and stuff. Uh, we had, like, a, a Inspector Gadget-style hat helicopter thing um, and a guided chicken that came out of, like, a shoulder-mounted, like, black-powder ball firing cannon um, and just lots of really dumb stuff like that. Um, and that one got released, uh, and that was kind of fun.
2: So what's some of the biggest lessons you've learned as a, as a game dev, because you've been at it a while?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess I guess all of all of the sort of valuable advice in terms of being able to uh, to succeed at at sort of realising things, not necessarily succeed financially or, or, or whatever else, but actually to sort of get to the other end of making things, is to try and have a good understanding of your skills, to try and have a good understanding of your limitations, and to try and have an understanding of the impact of the unknowns um, that your project has. Um, so if I want to think about a, a concrete example, um, uh, Winter's Wake gives you a text like there's a 3d world around you that you can't see and it gives you a text description of whatever you're facing when i came up with the idea i didn't know whether or not it would work i didn't know whether or not the uh the gameplay that i had in mind or the the interface that i had in mind would was workable at all uh and so when i when i started making the engine for it i make my own engine by the way um when i started making the engine for it i uh i I was like, okay, I don't want to get bogged down in writing a raycasting system because my math brain is tiny and that's a lot of work. Okay. Instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask the graphics card for the last frame back. I'm going to work out what color the middle pixel is. I'm going to color everything unique. And whatever that color is, that's what you're looking at. Um, and that allowed me to erase a very big... Because I, I didn't know how long it was going to take me to write a, a raycasting system because I'd never done anything like that before. But doing that very... Um, Quick and dirty implementation of that uh, feature allowed me to get the rest of the game engine up to a point where I could assess whether or not the the concept worked at all uh, before I invested a huge amount of time in an unknown thing um, so if you can if you can find ways to navigate unknowns and set boundaries on the impact that they can have on your project, uh, navigating your project to completion becomes uh, a lot easier to manage and uh use that's that's a
2: really good answer i I love that um earlier you spoke a lot about um contributing to the culture um how would you define that hmm. culture
1: uh like like game development culture yeah
0: yeah, oh. like putting all the uh the development logs for people to see and learning from your experiences uh developing
1: hive time and that sort of thing um yeah, I, f- I feel like the audience for that... I uh, when, I have a rule that I give myself whenever I'm writing, uh, which is that my uh, my primary audience should be historians 60 years in the future who want to deep dive on whatever it is that I care about. <laughs> um, and that way it doesn't <laughs> matter That's if anybody why we do reads this it show. now or not. <laughs> right? <laughs> Archiving as we go along, so... Exactly, exactly. Um, but I also feel like um, there's a lot of... Knowledge and a lot of learning that is easier to come by for experienced people. And it's my hope that by talking about my experiences and showing uh, the paths that I've trodden and the ways that I've gotten to where I've gotten, that some of that information, some of that that knowledge and experience might be accessible to people outside. Of of, uh, of the industry and outside of that that existing experience bubble, um, so I suppose that the the culture that I'm hoping to elevate is is people outside of game development
0: mm, who might want to get into it. So more so the people that are thinking about getting into game de- game development and then learning from you and your experiences for that and kind of giving them expectations, I suppose, of of going into it and that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, I, I suppose. Just I figure that any information you can have that informs uh, or gives you some ability to identify pitfalls that you might be coming up against um, or or opportunities that you might otherwise not see. I I feel like that, you know, you you still make your own choices as you go along, but if you've got a little bit more awareness of the surroundings as you go, you're less likely to trip over a branch, you know? Um, I think we have
0: time for one last question and we can piggyback off of that actually. What advice would sure. you give to people that are thinking about going into game development uh in in today's climate?
1: Hmm. Um mm. <laughs> uh, the industry is is very volatile and very difficult to navigate um from a financial success perspective. Um it's it's probably best to, um, you know, you hope for the best, but prepare for the worst. Um, do what you can to make sure that you're not... I mean, I, I recommend against mortgaging your house to get a project shipped. <laughs> uh, if you can find partners who are experienced with navigating this stuff, work with them if you can find ways to research and understand things that exist in the same space that you're trying to operate in, trying to understand the paths that they've traveled, but also be aware that every game has a different launch context and every game has a different audience and you're never really going to be able to predict where, where the lightning is going to strike. The best you can do is make sure that you're open to opportunities and that you're keeping your eye out for pitfalls along the way.
2: Hmm. Um, Josh, i just got to read out a comment uh, that uh, we got from <laughs> Timothy uh, Timothy Mark. Uh, Cheeseness has been a huge influence and supportive person to me for many years now. He's a big reason uh, I'm interested in game development, so
1: thanks, Cheese. Uh oh. oh, Bales, thank you, man. I and- love him. He's great.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Monkey Knot said, just as you were saying that, he's <laughs> Monkey Knot in the chat goes, do not mortgage your house to game dev. <laughs> and yeah. and he says, "Oh my God, I just, I just typed that," and he said it.
1: <laughs> so I'm, I'm I'm very lucky, um, and and that's another reason I want to write about stuff and make sure that um, that my experiences go beyond just me. Uh, is that I'm 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 lucky. I have access to a lot of opportunities that I don't think everybody else is likely to have access to. I have. Uh, I own a house. I'm not paying rent. Um, I owe money for this house, but I, any of that that I pay back, I'm building equity. That put, immediately puts me in a different situation to other people. Um, uh, when I was making Hive Time, I had the support of a, a very supportive partner who was happy to pay our day-to-day bills while I ignored contract work and just made my own game. Um, and I was I was incredibly lucky to have that. Um, I am incredibly lucky to have had the opportunity to work with, uh, developers and studios whose work I admire and to learn from the, from, from those experienced people as well. Um, yeah, I, and I'm like, if I have these opportunities and I can draw some benefit from them, then I kind of have a responsibility to, to share whatever I can, uh, of that.
0: Yeah, I for one really appreci- appreciate you putting all the information out there, especially for things that aren't really talked about too much. And I think that it's a great thing to build the community up and increase the level of knowledge within that. Because as you said, as, as you said, it is very difficult, it is very hard, but together I think all of us can add in a little bit of ourselves and hopefully bring all of it up. And
1: I think um, just very quickly. Yeah, yeah uh, of course. I, yeah. I, I, I get, I'm getting the wrap-up signal. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. Um, yeah, you can add. You can add a final. But uh, it. You, you brought up something uh, which is about uh, sort of all of us trying to navigate this stuff together, and I think that's that's a really important point. I don't want to make it sound like I am saying that my experiences are the most important experiences that people can learn from. But if I put my stuff out there in spaces where people are not really frequently talking about things, then that can contribute to the normalisation of discourse around these things. You know, it can start a discussion or it can continue a discussion. Um, and that's that's where the power and the value is, is in, in having multiple perspectives, mm. for sure.
0: Absolutely. I think all it takes is one person to kind of start the discussion, as you said, and everybody can kind of go ahead and, and share that uh, and their experiences too. Um, and that's all the time that we have for tonight, but if you would like to find out more about Hive Time, you can head to cheeseness.itch.io, and you can also check out Josh's Twitter at ValiantCheese. Josh, thank you so much for being such a great guest tonight.
1: Thanks for having me. It's been a bunch of fun. Pixel
0: Sift is produced by Scott Quigg, Sarah Ireland, Fiona Bartholomeus, Mitch Lowe, myself, Adam Christo, and Gianni Di Giovanni is our executive producer. We wouldn't have been able to make 159 episodes of Pixelsift if we didn't have the support of Murdoch University. So go check them out, tell them that we sent you, and if you're keen to learn more about a great creative degree, you can head to murdoch.edu.au forward slash arts. That's murdoch.edu.au forward slash arts. And as always, we will be sticking links to everything we talked about in the show notes on our website. You can go find that at www.pixelsift.com.au.
2: And you can also come join us on our Discord. We'd love to have you there. That's pixelsift.com.au forward slash Discord where you can share your creative work, talk about topics and games and anything else. That's pixelsift.com.au forward slash Discord. And if you like what we do, can we ask a favor? We need your help to share the show. So tell a friend, subscribe your brothers and sisters and start someone's journey into podcasting because we know that getting started is tricky. It's not really that tricky. Just go on your phone, download a player. (laughs) Um, But once
0: once you're in, you'll love it too much to leave. And next week on the 26th of November, we will be back with Pixel Sift Plays, playing one of the many indie games that feature on our show. That's all for this week. Thank you for joining us and we'll see you next time. See
1: ya. Goodbye.